Hi, welcome to Adopted Feels, a podcast about anything and everything adoption related. Once again, content and trigger warning, this episode contains discussions of suicide. This is the final episode of our three-part series on adoptee suicide awareness and prevention, dedicated to a special member of our community who died last year. Again, we feel it's important to stress that we are in no way suggesting that being adopted will lead to suicide attempts or death by suicide, but what we do want to do is contribute to our community's understanding of suicide and to normalize discussions surrounding it. We're releasing these episodes along with a list of crisis and non-immediate support services, as well as suicide prevention training programs for Australia, Korea, and the U.S., You can find this list on our website, tinyurl.com forward slash AF support. In today's episode, we speak with Louise, a Korean adoptee whose sister, also a Korean adoptee, died by suicide. Louise tells us her very personal story and shares her unique perspective on the impacts of her sister's death, her grief journey so far, and her reflections on the relationship between adoption and mental health. And a final note, apologies again for some dips in audio quality. Also, for privacy reasons, Louise does not wish to disclose her sister's name. There are a few points in the interview where she accidentally says her name, so we've bleeped these out. So thank you, Louise, for being willing to talk to us today um, about uh, which something I'm sure is a very... Um, difficult thing to talk about. Um, before we start, would you mind uh, just telling us briefly a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. Hi. Thank you for having me on here and inviting me to speak. So I was adopted from Korea at when I was 18 months old and I've been living in Sydney, but I grew up on the Central Coast for most of my life. Um, I now have a partner who is from the Netherlands, and we have two children, uh, aged four and seven years old. Thank you. <laughs> so um, we invited you, yes, to talk to us today um, about your sister who who died from suicide. Would you be able to give us a little bit of background about about your adoptive family and and your sister? Yeah, sure. So my family, my parents, my adoptive parents, I think we call them, they're both Australian, Anglo-Saxon. They both grew up in Australia all their life. They had four biological children of their own first. Um, Unfortunately, one of them passed away at a very young age, 22 months old, and that was kind of what spurred them on to want to adopt I was the first one adopted and then there were three more adopted from Korea as well. Two girls, two boys adopted and they already had a, a two sons and a daughter. They later on adopted another Korean girl who was adopted into a different family and grew up most of her life in a different family but there was some trouble and so my mum wanted to take her on and so she joined our family. We also grew up with a lot of foster children and we had another adopted brother from Thailand who uh, later on met his birth mother and returned back to his family in Thailand. We all grew up in the Central Coast in 
what I would say is a very white part of Australia <laughs> um, back then. And I went to school being one of the only Asians at school. And yeah. My sister was six years younger than me. I'm now 45 years old. And she was a very talented writer. She was extremely intelligent, very thoughtful, um, very shy in big crowds, more of a one-to-one person, but she had a lot of really good friends from all over the world. She was a very generous person. She always gave a lot of herself to people and she would do anything for you. She loved photography, music, food was one of her passions. She was a foodie and um, she had a very funny side as well. And I would describe her as very brave. Um, she had a lot of integrity as a person and she didn't, she didn't like to put up with crap from anyone. She stood up for herself. Yeah. Yeah, we were very close as siblings and besides being my younger sister, in a way we had a lot of extra connection. Uh, we were obviously both adopted from Korea, but she she ran away from home when she was quite young. She was still doing her HSC, so I think she was 16, maybe 15, and she came to live with me and I sort of looked after her from then and on and off over the years she'd always come and live with me whenever she was in Australia whenever I had a spare room or she'd be straight there as soon as a flatmate moved out or I broke up with a boyfriend <laughs> she'd be she'd be can I come and live with you so she was my constant uh, flatmate and sister and friend and a lot of things she even lived with me when my elder son was born she was uh, my birth support wow. and she yeah because my partner was living overseas at the time during my pregnancy so she moved in with us and she was there at my birth uh, at my son's birth and she played a very big role in his life and in ours she was part of our family yeah she was more than I would say an average sister in that respect she was a lot of different things to me so we were quite close and she later on uh, went on to live abroad she lived in Korea for a few years and then moved to Japan for a few years and worked as a journalist Um, so it was only about a year ago is that right that um that your younger sister died. Yes, that's right. Can you tell us a little bit about how your sister's death impacted you and and also perhaps your your adoptive family? Yep, sure. Um, it's hard to say because um, some of my family which I don't talk to, um, not because I don't want to talk to them. I've always been quite open and. When she passed away, I made sure I contacted everybody and made sure everybody was aware of what had happened. Some people were really open and talked a lot and 
for example, my older brother, we talked every day on the phone and she was actually quite close to him and I know he was very sad about it. Some of my siblings didn't speak to me and my mum was obviously devastated and my younger brother, who was also very close. So I was talking to a lot of my siblings. Um, I was constantly on the phone nearly every day. I wanted to keep them all updated um, because initially when it happened, of course, there was, uh, it's not a clear cut. Uh, the nature of the death um, is never certain and, and there's always investigations and it's forensics and coroners and is actually quite a process, um, which I'd never been through. Um, and on top of that, I'd never had to organise a funeral before. So I was just dealing with all of that um, and trying to support some of my family members as well. And I had a young family of my own at the time. So it was an extremely challenging time in my life and I probably haven't processed it all properly, to be honest. Um, and I was listening to your podcasts about, I think, the psychologist who specialises in grief. She was takes a minimum of two years at least, and I would agree with that. I mean, I've barely hit one year mm. and I've sort of been slowly um, dealing with it in different ways. We were definitely all very devastated and initially it was just shock and survival mode of just getting things done. Some family members wanted to help out with the funeral, um, but in the end, none of them did. Um, I ended up organising it all myself, but some of them did. I, actually, you know, my mum and my older sister contributed towards the flowers, um, and in the end, only my mum and two of my brothers came, and the rest of them didn't, which... I guess for their own personal reasons, they, I know that one of them felt that it should have been a small private ceremony with just family, um, whereas I knew her, I felt better than anybody else and through the whole process I liaised with all of her friends as well. So I was uh, WhatsApping, messaging, emailing, um, trying to get in touch with as many of her friends as possible. And though some of those friends were helping me as well. Um, so I felt that they had a right to be there at the funeral and I wanted to be as inclusive as possible to give my sister a proper farewell with all the people that she really cared about and that cared about her and were important in her life. She had left quite a legacy behind a lot of different communities of people from all over the world and people flew over from America, from Korea, from Japan, from Queensland, from Melbourne to come to the funeral, which I thought was very touching. And I was very disappointed that some of the family members who only lived up the road didn't come. So, but I guess everybody processes these things in their own way. Grief is a very personal thing and so, is, so can funerals for some people. 
But I'm, I don't regret anything I did there and I'm really glad that I included everybody and we gave her a proper funeral. It does sound like, uh, yes, as it's only been a year and you've had such a lot to um, manage with the funeral and communicating all these things to, um, to friends and, and family and, um, you know, international guests. Um, do you think because of everything you've, you've had to do that perhaps that's postponed your own grieving process? Yes, definitely. Especially in the first couple of months, it was, I did definitely have days, well, I probably cried every day, to be honest. Um, There were a few things, so having to deal with all the administration of it sort of put me in a suspended mode, but also having two young kids at home, it was difficult for me. It's, I didn't try and hide my feelings with them and I did sometimes cry in front of the kids and I explained to them, you know, mummy's sad because my sister has passed away, which was their auntie and they were very close to her. So they understood and I always made them part of it. Um, the advice I'd been given was to include them as much as possible and to be as honest as much as possible for their age um, and so we also allowed them to come to the funeral and be part of the ceremony. Um, obviously, I didn't explain 100% to them the nature of her death because they're too young to understand what suicide is. Um, however, I also didn't lie to them and say it was a car crash or something random. I just told them that she had an illness and unfortunately died from it. And they'll, one day um, when they're older, um, I can build on that and let them know. Um, in terms of my own grief, yeah, I, I have had, after everything calmed down a little bit, I did get some counselling from a grief counsellor. I'm not sure if it helped as much as it's supposed to, but I, I sort of did a few sessions and then I... I didn't know if it was kind of just stirring things up a bit more and I wasn't sure if I was ready to deal with a lot of things. Um, I also didn't do all my homework and so I didn't go back. (laughs) (laughs) There's certain things that they ask you to do and I I did really struggle um, even just sorting out her things. And I felt after organising, it was such an intense time organising the funeral, I just sort of shelved everything for a while I just shut down everything, all her admin. I just felt I didn't need to be doing all the paperwork. I still hadn't closed her bank accounts or done any of that. I just, it was too hard and quite time-consuming and mentally draining. Um, I packed away her clothes and I sorted a few of the things like food. She had some food products and things. I had to, unfortunately, in the first few days, I had to go to her apartment and um, pack everything up and move all her things out. And again, I did that all by myself. Although my partner offered to help, I wanted to do it by myself. Um, But unfortunately, I didn't feel that my family really offered much support around that time. But I guess they were all dealing with their own grief as well. So... 
I had to sort of pack all those things away very quickly and I haven't really had a lot of time to go back through it all just yet. It's all sort of just sitting at my house, Mm. um, which I know is not very healthy, but one of the advice that was given to me was not to do anything permanent that you can't undo, especially in the first 12 months. And you can't, you don't have to rush these things. Um, and I thought that was good advice because I think if you rush into getting rid of stuff um, that you can't get back, you might regret it. Um, I also wanted to give some of the family members an opportunity to keep some of her things as well. So I've just kept it for now and put it aside and I'll slowly deal with it as I can. I was going to ask if, if it's okay, if there have been sort of developments or changes in the way that the rest of your family members have kind of maybe processed a bit through this or changes in the relationship that you have with them over this time? Um, yeah, I think, well, there's one brother that hasn't really spoken to a lot of the family anyway, so that hasn't changed, unfortunately. Um, another brother that was close to her, he sort of came out and came to the funeral and was quite calling me every day. And then after the funeral, I never saw him again or heard from him. So it was a bit strange. And unfortunately, because I was hoping that um, I feel like something like this is more of a time to come closer One of my older brothers who I was quite close to and during the whole process, we were quite close, but I was a little disappointed that he didn't come to the funeral, but we have since made amends and we've talked since then, which is good. Um, It's hard because some of the family members live quite far away. Mm -hmm. It hasn't really changed my relationship much with my mum and my little brother who I I stay in contact with fairly regularly. I don't think it has changed things too much um, with most of us, no. but I think everyone still is processing and dealing with it in their own way. Um, if you feel comfortable, could you tell us a little bit about your sister's um, mental health journey and if you think that being adopted played any role in her mental health? Yeah, obviously anything I express here is just my opinion and we may never know with 100% certainty what the real truth is. Um, But in my opinion, yes, I do think that her adoption was a big factor in her mental health and I think she felt that too and she often expressed that to me. She always felt a great longing and sadness for her mother, her birth mother, and she was quite open about that. She even wrote an article about it, how you can miss somebody that you've never met. And um, one of her wishes, she actually wrote me a letter and I'm very thankful for that. She asked, she requested that her ashes be taken back to her birthplace and scattered near the hospital where she was born. 
um, because she felt that that is where her pain began or where her pain all began and that's where she wanted to be left. So that was, I think, quite poignant in describing her pain. And I think, um, yeah, I do feel like she just never got over never finding her birth mother. It was a big part of her longing and her journey and the reason she packed up her life and moved to Korea. And uh, she really just wanted answers. I don't feel she was naive in her search either. She was very realistic that she may never meet her or her mother might not want to meet her, but she just wanted to know. She just wanted to know the truth and she felt cheated and she felt that the system let her down because she felt that they knew and they had paperwork and information and they were withholding it from her. And she had some very horrible challenges um, during her experience in searching. Yeah, I think it was very unfortunate that that happened and that that can happen and unfortunately still happens today because the laws don't really, the laws aren't around helping the adoptee the, to protect the, the birth parents or the um, adoptive parents more than the child, which is a shame. But I, I do think things are changing, but still probably not enough. So, yeah, she, she struggled. I'd say as a child she was quite a happy child. Um, you know, we had a pretty average sort of upbringing <laughs> apart from being adopted and <laughs> living in Australia and being the only Asian family. Um, but she seemed to go well at school. She seemed to be okay. Um, I think it hit her more later on in life, uh, in teens, and then she started to want to search for her birth mother and it became important for her. Um, and I, I do think she suffered from depression um, over uh, many years, but she actually seemed to manage it okay. And she did tell me that um, she knew how to manage the depression and she was okay with that and she seemed to keep that under control. But more recently... Um, She'd been suffering from some anxiety and I think that was really scaring her and it was something new and unfortunately when she was in a relationship, um, she'd just broken up with her boyfriend at the time just before her death. The breakup was the trigger for that but I think anyone who knows anything about adoption would understand that it had more to do with her abandonment issues and um, so I think you could trace always trace it back to being adopted less to do with the relationship itself but more about being rejected and abandoned again that was unfortunately the trigger for her I think that's a big factor of being adopted I can say that because I'm adopted so (laughs) Um, I do think we we, we have that deep-seated, uh, I don't know if it's a fear, but you do have issues of uh, belonging and abandonment and rejection and maybe even issues with commitment in relationships and things. 
Yeah, I know I struggled myself with commitments. Um, I'm still, <laughs> you asked me earlier if I'm married, and I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I still have issues with being <laughs> married, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I have two children. I, I'm not sure I want to be married. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> But that might be my issue. <laughs> anyway. Before we move on to the broader adoptee community, I was, I was wondering if I can ask if you touched on this before, but if there's been particular things that have been helpful or unhelpful for you in processing your own grief. I think it was important to try and go through the formal process of grief counselling and I probably will revisit it again. Um, I think it's something that maybe I just felt I wasn't ready to confront it because each time I go to a session, I would just really upset me. Mm. Um, so it probably did help, but I didn't finish um, the sessions, I only did a few. And that's, I know that's not enough. What I actually found helpful, a number of things. A friend gave me this book. It's called Any Ordinary Day, written by oh, Lee Sales. And she interviews and talks about um, people who have experiencing grief. So they've lost someone very suddenly in their life. Um, so through traumatic events, um, she interviews all these different people and how they process grief. And I read that book and, I mean, it was very cathartic um, and I got a few tips out of that as well in how best to sort of process your own grief. And, of, like, the biggest message was obviously that everybody is very different in how they process it. But that was, it was helpful to read other people's experiences, which I, I guess is partly why I wanted to help with this because people, maybe it helps other people by hearing about other people's experiences as well. Um, one thing that's a little bit not so mainstream, I suppose, and might sound a little bit out there, I went and saw a couple of psychics um, or clairvoyants and because I was just curious, um, so one of they're both recommended by different friends because they supposedly can communicate with um, the spirit of people who have passed. So I was curious, and I've been to them in the past, and I've always found them quite um, profound. If you find a really good one, uh, I have to say, actually, the second one was really helpful she seemed to understand my sister really well without me telling her a single thing about her mm. and it gave me some reassurance she basically said you know your sister is at peace you know which anyone can say of course but she said a lot of personal things that really no one else would know and touched on and your sister's at peace and she um she touched on her birth mother and my birth mother also always comes up, uh, which is really interesting because I've had three psychics tell me independently that my birth mother actually passed away 
and so which is partially why I haven't looked for her. Um, but they've also all told me independently that I have a brother, wow. which is really interesting, isn't wow. it? And, I mean, how can they all say the same thing? Um, so that, I mean, that's another story, but I found that really fascinating and I think I've always felt um, that she has been there to guide me, support me, and I've always had a different level of confidence than my sister did about around my adoption. And I can come back to that if you want. But with what helped, I actually taped the session with the last psychic. So she understood uh, my sister's condition very well and described her condition very well and really um, pinpointed what the root of the cause was. She also explained to me that um, besides being at peace, she's actually she's been able to see her mother um, her mother's still alive, which is really sad, um, but she has a greater understanding for her situation now and it's given her some peace and she doesn't regret what she did, uh, which gave me some peace as well because you never know these things. If, um, but for that, I walked away feeling... It just resonated with me and I felt it was right, whether it is or not. She said so many very specific things about myself, my partner, my kids. Um, she was really, yeah, even about my profession at the time and my job and I felt that she gave me a lot of clarity and I felt good after that session because I think the thing with counselling, you can talk and talk about things and dig it all up and jiggle those feelings up but you also need to have some answers and some clarity on things my sister helped me with that by writing me a letter which was really thoughtful of her but I still had a few things unanswered um, I was feeling a lot of guilt around her death and feeling like I could have done more and I still feel that way of course um, Hearing what the psychic said, reading the books about grief, uh, it sounds like it's a very normal part of, especially when it is suicide, you always feel like you could do more and there's always a lot of what ifs, what if I did this, what if I did that, but the reality is, I mean, I didn't know she was going to do that and I obviously would have done something different if I had have known um, you only react to the information you have at the time. I still haven't fully gone through my whole grief process or come to any conclusions, but as of this moment, I would say one of the things I thought about was um, she wanted this and I think she deliberately sort of kept me in the dark that week um, because she knew if I had any inkling that something was going on, I would have obviously tried to stop her or it would have made it harder for her to do. And uh, I think she'd made up her mind. And when I spoke to a lot of the experts, the forensic psychologists, um, they said something like this doesn't just happen suddenly. It was very, the way she did it, the way she wrote letters, 
She tidied up all of her affairs. She even tried to pay her tax bill that morning. She wanted to leave nothing left um, and she didn't want to be a burden. Yeah, a lot of the experts said these things, she's probably been thinking about it for a long time. Actually, another thing that was really helpful was I think it was only two days after she passed, a counsellor from the forensic department rang and they specialise in that sort of trauma of sudden death by accident or suicide. He was actually extremely helpful because the words that you use when someone's grieving are really important and he said to me, you know, it sounds like she probably planned this for a long time and I was explaining to him how I felt guilty and I wish I could have done more and if I'd have known. And I explained a little bit about our life together and how she'd always lived with me and always come back to me. And he said, you probably actually kept her alive longer um, by supporting her all your life. So it was a different perspective I hadn't even thought of. And he was probably true um, because she'd suffered for a long time with a lot of her pain and there's evidence that she may have attempted before as well. So that was reassuring as well and he explained, he said a few other things as well, but I found he was very helpful. So definitely speaking to professionals is really helpful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I'm sure that that would be helpful for um, anyone who may listen that um, has gone through or is going through a similar thing. I understand that for you, um, you mentioned having a a kind of a different relationship with adoption with, uh, and perhaps Mm. not, um, perhaps not relating so much to the identity of of being an adoptee and, um, and, you know, not being as involved in the, with the wider adoption community as, as your sister. Do you think, like since your sister's death, um, have you been able to share any of your feelings with with other adoptees, or has any of that changed for you? Yeah. So actually, through first, I'll answer that in two parts because I touch on that. I do have a theory. Um, some of it is based on science and research as well. My sister was given up at birth. Um, at the hospital and I feel like she never had an opportunity to bond and connect not necessarily with her birth mother but also just with a mother and I think her and this also came through from the psychic funnily enough and but it was something that I already felt I think her mother was already undergoing a lot of anxiety and stress And there is definitely a genetic component to that and I can see that 
my sister inherited that tendency. Um, she was always quite an anxious person. And so not having that bonding opportunity from right from birth, whereas my situation, if I can believe my records, which I know are not always correct, I was with my birth mother for the first 11 months of my life um, and I feel deep in my heart for whatever reason that she tried her best and really, you know, nurtured me and nourished me for as long as she could and for whatever reason had to give me up. Uh, I went to an orphanage at 11 months and I wasn't adopted out till 18 months, which quite a lot, quite traumatic at such an age. Um, but I've always had a positive, firm belief that my mother wanted what was best for me or what she felt was best and circumstances didn't enable her to keep me. Um, so it's always made me feel uh, very different about my adoption and my background. My sister felt abandoned um, for whatever reason and I think she that's why she always had such a great longing to find her mother and find some connection. I think I was fortunate enough to have had made some bond even though it was later broken. Um, there's something in that for a baby. Uh, hence the importance of foster mothers and foster parents and I've heard you sp speak about them sometimes on the podcast. Um, I think it's very important for a baby to have some nurturing, continuous care from somebody, even if it's not their birth mother. So I think it's a very important role. And if you're not able to have that, um, yeah, so that was one of my theories about her and also that uh, some of these things are inherited as well, some of these tendencies. So the second part of your question was, Oh, the wider adoptive community. Yeah, I guess for me, I always had a curiosity. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I did go to Korea and study Korean language for three months at university. Um, I'd made really good friends with a Korean who actually worked at Social Welfare Society, and which is where we met the first time when I went to Korea. She actually helped me a little bit in finding more information about my background but sort of came to a dead end and um, I guess partly I always thought well if she can't find anything what am I going to find and I just didn't have such a great longing to find my mother I mean I of course I'd love to know um, I'd love to meet her or I'd love to find anything um, but the longing wasn't there as much for me whereas I know with my sister it was a bigger aspect of her life. I sometimes, you know, I wish I had have been a part of that with her. Um, she was always going to help me look and she was always encouraging me to be part of it and would invite me to some of the meetings and things. Um, I guess I, yeah, for whatever reason, just didn't feel the need to at the time. But since her passing and a lot of people have come out of the woodworks, um, Linnell Long has been quite a significant person in supporting and helping. She helped a lot with the funeral as well and helping to 
connect me with all the different organisations and some of the people and even just, um, yeah, raise some awareness around the whole issue. In a very naive sort of way, I didn't actually, before my sister's death, I didn't realise there was such a strong, and I mean, it sounds so naive now, I didn't know there was a correlation between adoptees and suicide, like there's such a higher correlation. Um, and I don't know if it's just I had my head in the sand or I've just been busy raising two young kids. And, <laughs> um, but my sister did tell me about um, the, the one you mentioned on your podcast to Philip Clay. I remember that really hit her really hard and she did she was very angry and frustrated about it and very upset about that, um, as were a lot of people. I remember her telling me that story because it also impacted me at the time to think how the humanity of the whole situation and how he just wasn't treated as a human being with rights, normal rights, and uh, was really sad. And it did make me look a little bit beyond things. Um, my sister was very good at helping to raise my awareness and um, she was always a very strong advocate for all of the issues around adoption. And so I, I kind of, through her, learnt a lot about it and I guess in her passing became more curious to because uh, some of her friends were wanting to connect with me but I was also connecting with them and there's comfort in that as well. I think that is also another important part of the process of the grief is to still connect with um, people that were important to them because through those other people you, you keep their memory alive and yeah, I learned things about um, through her friends as well. On that topic, if, if you'd like to talk about the um, memorial page. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I, I think I still haven't shut down her Facebook account. <laughs> I just couldn't deal with any permanent changes. I think once you memorialise it, that's it. And anyway, I just, so I created a memorial page and it was also a way of, finding and connecting with all of her friends because there are a lot of people I just didn't know about and I also wanted to make sure people were aware of her funeral if they wanted to be a part of it and give them an opportunity. And so, yeah, it was a great way of hearing other people's stories. People shared photos, stories about her and, um, yeah, I got to express it's up to some extent um, a little bit of my feelings as well. And I think people, I think I helped a lot of her friends as well because I was the next closest thing to my sister. So I think they felt they could get some answers or some support as well um, by me being in contact with them. And I think being open and being in contact and being inclusive, at least in my experience, has actually been very helpful. I think hearing her stories, while sometimes it's sad, but it's also happy and it keeps her memory alive. 
and what she stand, what she stood for. Yeah, yeah. The memorial page is great. There's lots of pages <laughs> on Facebook. Linnell, I don't know how she has time to run all these things. <laughs> I don't have time to read everything or be involved with everything. Um, but I think it's really great that there's so much out there, just so many resources, so many people willing to share their stories. And uh, I think awareness is an important aspect. Mm-hmm. On that topic of awareness, um, what would you like to see in terms of support and resources for adopting mental health and suicide? Yeah, that's a good question. I... I'm probably not aware of all of the resources out there, so there probably are already some great resources. Um, I would firstly like to say that I think this podcast is fantastic. Um, I like how you talk about all the topics um, in a, quite a casual sort of way. Um, well, <laughs> I'm talking very casually. <laughs> um no, I, I really like how you touch on a lot of taboo topics, things that people might not feel comfortable to talk about or have never been talked about before. I think awareness is really key. I wish there was a podcast like this 20 years ago when you know I was a teenager or more than 20 years ago. I was 20. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in such a white society and, you didn't have anybody to talk to about adoption or being from Korea. We had our siblings, but my sister was uh, six years younger than me at the time, so a little bit younger, and we became closer as we matured and got older. I just think it can be quite a lonely situation out there, and sometimes people don't have the benefit of having other siblings or anybody to talk to. And... I think it's fantastic to have those sort of resources, even tips on if you do want to look for your birth parents, how to go about it, and hearing from other people's experiences. And I think in this particular series on, three-part series on suicide awareness, I think the thing with suicide, it's such a taboo topic and people often don't talk about it. And I think we have to realise that it's a lot more common than you know, we think, and I think the only way to really address it is by being more aware about it, being more open about it. I'm quite honest when people ask me how my sister passed away, I will tell them. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. It's an illness just like any other illness. Uh, Mental illness is just like any physical illness. Um, It's very real, and I don't feel there's anything to be ashamed about it, and I think we only make it sound shameful by not talking about it and by hiding it. So, yeah, awareness groups and supports, uh, resources, maybe some written resources or, um, yeah, I actually have been, I have been sent this actual specific course which was written by a grief counsellor who also lost his son through an overdose and so he also he was a grief counsellor for many years and then experienced grief himself very close. And one of the things he said too about grief was um, grief obviously is different for everybody, but nobody's grief is bigger than your own. And it's true. 
um, no matter what it is, uh, what type of grief you are experiencing, it's in your world. It's it's extremely big, and you shouldn't underplay it, and you shouldn't let anyone else underplay it, mm. or tell you to get over it, or anything else like that. And it could take years or months, and everybody has a different journey. So I'm looking forward. He's written a book as well, and I'm looking forward to doing his course uh, as well. I can send you his details later. But, um, yeah, so I'm still in that journey and in that process, and it's still very raw for me at the moment. And I'll probably change some of my perspectives about things as I go. I still feel the what-ifs, and I still wish I could have done more. And I think some of that will never go away. Uh, mostly I just miss her and I just feel sad that she felt that way, that there wasn't any other anything that could be done or um, that anyone could help her. But I, I don't know if it was all sadness. Actually, that's, I remember now what I was going to say before. I think... She had so many things taken away from her and out of her control and even when trying to search for the truth, so many things out of her control, I think this was her way of making a, a, a choice and taking control of her life back. And I think someone actually said that to me, but it really resonated with me as well. And I think you find that with a lot of adoptees that... Um, I think I listened to your first podcast too. It was sometimes eating disorders are more about taking control of the things you can because uh, uh, so many things have been taken away from you, your, your country, your birth parents, some of your basic human rights even to know any of your history. So uh, I guess a lot of adoptees might tend to have um, controlling personalities or wanting to all those sort of disorders OCD or eating disorders or wanting to take some form of control back and I think for my sister I think she just felt that she just wanted to do something that she had control over and it was a very I don't think she made it in haste it was a very planned and definitive decision for her I'm wondering if, if there's anything you would also like to see in terms of support for you. So not just mm -hmm. around adopting mental health and suicide, but also, yeah, I suppose, you know, you navigating this and um, dealing with grief and processing all that and all the relationships that have come into your life and that you're, you're um, managing at the moment. Um, yeah. Are there, are there things you'd like to see in terms of the support for people in your situation? It, it would be good to have maybe a bit more guidance around it. I have had a lot of her friends actually did offer a lot of support and help throughout the process, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, even just a checklist <laughs> of things that need to be done and, how, like, all the different um, support groups that are out there it's, it was a bit tricky navigating it all and it all sort of came ad hoc and I still haven't quite done everything on my checklist. Maybe actually one thing that I think would be really useful just in general is uh, more trained specialists 
psychologist who specialise in adoption. I recognise that on your last podcast it was uh, who you interviewed. And I think that's great because I think a lot of general counsellors don't understand that extra complexity around being adopted. Um, and listening to her list of risk factors for suicide, I actually ticked a lot of those boxes myself because just knowing someone who's had suicide um, being adopted and I was like, you know, I could have been a risk factor myself. So I think having not just a normal counsellor, because I think maybe that's why I didn't connect so well with my grief counsellor, is she didn't have the depth of knowing my sister's complexity of being adopted and my complexity around that. So, yeah, having more mm-hmm. more people. They don't even have to be psychologists. You can be a trained counsellor. but someone who is more specialised in adoption. I think, yeah, so they would help not just in this case but general adoption issues and more post-adoption. Um, it seems... We need a lot more post-adoption services and support. There's a lot of big business around adoption process and the pre-adoption process, but not a lot around post-adoption. Having said that, one of the things I think they really miss out on in the pre-adoption services is the filtering and um, selection of parents as well. I've heard a lot of sad stories. Um, I also question whether... My parents were fit enough to be adopting so many children themselves because they just, not that they weren't good people or bad people or anything like that. I think emotionally and mentally they weren't, they shouldn't have been able to adopt because they hadn't yet healed from the loss of their own son and it was a little bit of a patch up to get over the grief of losing their son. And I think if someone, if a psychologist actually analysed them, um, they might have realised that they needed to heal over that first. And I think taking anybody adopting and taking on a child should have more thorough psychological counselling or filtering in some ways. Yeah, there's a lot more filtering done just for immigration and for so many other things, but to adopt a child from uh, overseas, just think people need to understand what they're taking on and they need to be emotionally secure in their own way as well. I guess with my grief too, yeah, giving it time, uh, I was fortunate enough I went, uh, my partner has been quite supportive and enabled me to go overseas for a holiday after it was coincidentally a friend's wedding. So it was a good timing to sort of escape. But giving yourself time and space, I think being kind and um, doing whatever you need to do. People say funny things though. Someone <laughs> said to me the other day, oh, you should take up running. I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 because um, <laughs> they're just trying to help. She, um, she lost her brother through the sudden death and uh, so she, she took up running and that helped her. Exercise can help. <laughs> but I won't, I won't be running. <laughs> Thank you.
I just had one little question, which is like, mm-hmm. sorry, this is going back to, uh, you know, what you were reflecting on with, you know, just comparing maybe your own uh, very early life with your sisters and, and that theory that you had that perhaps you developed some, a more secure sense of attachment from um, being able to have some time with your birth mother before you were adopted. I was just curious whether um, you mentioned that your sister was also sadly uh, not really able to bond with with your adoptive mother either. And I was wondering if if you had a better relationship with your adoptive mother um, or your ado- adoptive father. Yeah, I, um, that's a really good question. And I did mean to mention it somewhere. Unfortunately, she was estranged from our adoptive mother and I'm sure that played some bearing on it. And I don't want to place blame on either side. I think they were both a bit stubborn in their own right. But, yeah, I hadn't really spoken to our mum for a very long time um, and was quite estranged from her. I think... Uh, had a lot of feelings about my mum and how she should have been or how she should have. So she had some anger around how my mum uh, treated one of our brothers who she was really close to. So, and I think a lot of that came from my mother's. Um, oh, what I didn't mention too, which was very important, um, my mother was adopted herself. Um, so she was Anglo-Saxon adopted in Australian adoption. And what I, I found really interesting to because I listened to your other podcasts, um, adoption is a kind of trauma. And I had it's a new perspective and I actually do agree with that, but I never really looked at it quite like that. So she had her own trauma and she grew up with quite a, traumatic sort of childhood as well from what I have heard. Some good and some bad, not all bad, but her parents couldn't conceive so they adopted her but just as they adopted her they fell pregnant. So then she grew up in the shadow of her biological sister and always felt sort of second class. And so she had a lot of her own issues growing up. And then she did meet her birth mother and got rejected all over again, as can happen with the story, because the family sort of were ashamed of her being born out of wedlock. Um, She never got to meet her father, but it was more coming from her mother's family, unfortunately. And so she lost her all over again. She went through a lot of her own trauma and grief herself. And then having children of my own, I just can't imagine... The, the trauma and grief of losing your own child as well. She went through all of that. That was all before she embarked on adopting and uh, having such a large family. So, yeah, she had a lot of things that she'd never quite fully dealt with and maybe still not to this day. Unfortunately, my sister clashed a lot of things with her, but I think deep down my sister actually really loved her. And I know that uh, my mum really loved my sister very much and I think I know she's very devastated from her passing. Um, I kind of take a little bit of a different 
perspective um, because, yeah, I don't believe she was a bad person. I think she was a little bit of a victim of her circumstances and never quite healed. Having said that, it doesn't justify some of her behaviours and things she could have done. And I think as a mother, I did actually tell her this. Uh, ironically or strangely enough, one week before I passed, I tried to tell my mum, uh, you know, you really should get in touch with her. Why don't you write a letter? Because, you know, she's not a text message sort of person. I said, or oh, you could write an email and we could help you put it into an email. I said, I really think you should tell her how you feel because I knew that she loved her. And I think that would have meant something to my sister as well. Um, yeah, I think they'll both be a bit stubborn. Um, my father sadly passed away five years ago in a car crash with one of my other adoptive sisters and her son, who was only five. My sister was uh, very affected by that, as we all were. But I recall her saying when she came back to Australia this time, um, it brought back all that grief again. So she was dealing with the grief and then a change of a whole reverse culture shock because she'd lived in Asia for several years. She came back to live, to work in a company with all white people and um, just being in Sydney with a lot less Asian people and uh, then the relationship break up. So there were a lot of factors, but I think she felt a stranger back when she came back to Australia and that also gave her a lot of anxiety um, and that compounded with the grief of losing our father and sister five years ago as well. I think it really impacted her, unfortunately. Um, I just feel, yeah, this this is such a special conversation and especially to have this be, yeah, the, the third part of this series. Um, I just, yeah, really, really want to thank you again for being so open and for sharing, for sharing your experience. And um, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm just really, yeah, thank you for speaking to us. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for trusting us enough to to talk about this um, when things still are quite raw and, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, like I said, thank you for asking me and giving me the opportunity. At first I wasn't sure I'd want to do it because I thought, oh, I, yeah, I just didn't know if I'd be able to get through a whole interview without breaking down. Um, but I Definitely saw the importance of it and I wanted it for my sister but also for the greater community. I, and like I said, I really support what you guys do and I think it's important. And to be honest, you've helped me because talk, just talking about it is very therapeutic and cathartic. So it's been good to be able to express some of those feelings and opinions and thoughts even though some of my family might not be happy about some of the things I say. But <laughs> I've come to realise that it's more to do with them and their own issues and I don't feel I've done anything wrong. 
So that's all you can do. Yeah, I think this is going to be such a source of um, support for for plenty of people listening. Thank you. And, you know, another great resource would be uh, I'd be happy to talk to people if people have gone through that same situation as well. Maybe some people, you know, one-on-one and trying to remember some of the, the things that were said to me that really helped and cemented things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Perhaps um, uh, if people would like to connect with you, they they could email us or contact us, um, and then we can we can pass on the message to you or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And special thanks again also to Linnell Long, Miju Kim, Jiran Kim, and M McKenna for their help and support in putting together this series. And to you uh, listeners who have, like, listened to all three of these mammoth episodes, thank you for um, following along um, on this journey. And we know that some of the content was probably quite heavy and challenging at times. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening and supporting what we're doing here. And if you have any suggestions for further ways in which we can continue to have these discussions and normalize discussions surrounding adoptee mental health and suicide prevention and awareness, as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us at adoptedfeels at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast or on Twitter at Adopted Feels. Please give us a five-star rating or better yet, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And if you'd like to further support us, head to patreon.com forward slash Adopted Feels. <laughs>